or something, but you just bring back the, what I've studied, Lord, and just help me to just teach something that will be beneficial, Father, um, to those who are here. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If anybody has any prayer requests, we, we can pray at the end. Um, but you, I'll go ahead and take them then we'll, at the end, and we'll pray for them. Go ahead, Bill. Dialysis. Uh, Dialysis. Somebody else have any? Stude. Him with the glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The other day when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to, to, to teach on, on this evening, you know, I was just um, kind of praying about it and asking some people at work, you know, what would you want to hear <laughs> if, if, you know, if you were going to come and hear something on me teach, you know, what, what's going on through your mind. I had nothing that was um, pressing of, of any sorts that I, uh, sometimes, you know, I say that because sometimes when I'm reading and I'm studying, I'm like, man, I really, you know, I'd really like to share that next time I'm teach or whatever it may be. But I didn't really have anything, so I just kind of started flipping through and I decided I wanted to do something in the Old Testament. And then I figured I want to do something through the Psalms and I was just kind of looking through, and I came across Psalms 8. You know, it wasn't anything special. I just thought, man, that just sounds, I just like that. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And that was the first thing that caught me. So I stopped, and I settled on that. And then I wondered if I should do that. And then I figured it was 655, so I better, probably had to go ahead and go with it by now. You know what I mean? Can't change it up now. But I decided I wanted to go with that. You know, well, the, the thing that jumped out to me, something that really jumped out to me, um, and Pastor Kenny was teaching the other day, uh, you know, lots of things stick with me as, as he's taught, and I've had the opportunity to learn when he was talking about the, the name of, of the Lord, of Yahweh, breathing it in, Yahweh, and that's really um, stuck with me, because over the years, um, I've, I've tried to study and to understand the name of God better, the covenant name that he revealed to Moses. I am that I am. I am has sent me. I've sent you to the nation of Israel. There's something majestic about that. There's something that I can't quite put my finger on it, and I hope that I never do. 
And hopefully I keep pursuing it because I think it's, it's great for us to try and learn, to try to understand that. Fully to understand it, I don't know. The Jews, many of them would not even speak the name as we already know, Yahweh. They would not say that. And I don't want to say it irreverently at all. The scribes, when they would translate it, you've already heard Pastor Kenny say it the other day, um, that they would at least wash their hands for every time that they would write it. I'd even heard before, and I haven't confirmed this because it's been years and years ago. I know who told me this, but they would take a bath and then write it. They would clean themselves every time. So nonetheless, whenever they encountered the name of God, they treated it um, very seriously. They didn't come to it flippantly. When they came across this to write the name of God, just to translate it over and what they were copying, they would stop and cleanse themselves before they would write his name. And that was the thing that stuck out to me. And, it's, and it says, O Lord, our Lord, the first Lord is completely capitalized, depending on you know, what version, New King James, King James is probably going to have it, all capitalized, representing the tetragrammaton, or the four consonants, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. The second Lord, Adonai. Our Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. This psalm, and I've, I've studied this psalm, how many times it's quoted in the New Testament. This, you know, multiple times um, it's being referred to in the New Testament. Referred to in Hebrews chapter 2, which we may go there in just a little while. But one of the things that just stuck out to me is how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, I'm not really so much as teaching you now as just telling you as what is going through my mind when I'm looking at this. And I'm asking myself this question. How excellent is God's name? How great is God's name throughout all the earth? This psalm is also about a sense of creation. Lifting up God in his creation. Worshiping God, praising God in his creation. And we'll get to that. How excellent is his name? Listen, I don't have an answer. How excellent God's name. There's nothing that I can really say to you about how great his name is. Except for that it is great. Except for that it is excellent. Because in that pursuit of knowing that, that's, I found in this psalm that it wasn't going to be best for me to talk about the name of God. I didn't feel like it was as appropriate as I moved through the psalm. But it still begins there. How excellent is your name? And then it ends with the same thing. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth? How excellent is God's name? How excellent is God's name whenever we look at his creation? Whenever we take the time to look at a flower, to look at a tree, to look into the sky, to see the beauty of what God has done in his creation, that it just cries out to his glory. It just cries out to his glory. And his name is definitely excellent. And it should be praised, it should be honored, and we should what? We should see that. It says that you have set, who have set your glory above the heavens. Glory. Glory is associated with the excellency of his name. His name's being used here. His glory. You know, glory is also one of those things that when we study, it's just one of those things that I feel like I'm just trying to grasp it, but I can never fully get a hold of it. 
What is the glory of God? What is it? What does it mean? The physical manifestation of God's perfection, His righteousness, His holiness. The idea in studying this word and understanding it over the years, it has a weightiness to it. It weighs you down. What does the Bible teach us? No man can see God and what? Live. We can't stand before the fullness of God and live. It would kill us. We couldn't withstand that in our mere human bodies. That's why I also think that when we're raptured out of here, in the moment and the twinkling of an eye will be changed. In other words, I think it is referring to that we have to be changed and be supernaturally prepared to withstand the glorious Jesus Christ because we couldn't withstand him in our, our bodies now. Now think back for just a moment. Moses, when he went up onto the cleft of the rock, what did he see? He didn't get the full... He didn't see God's face. What did he see? God had hit him in the cleft of the rock. And as God passed by, the Bible uses anthropomorphism. That's a big word. I think most of us know assigning human characteristics to something. God trying to communicate with us. Got to see his what? His hind parts, just a small part of him. And then what happened to Moses? His face was shining reflecting just a bit of the what? Of the glory of God. Go even a little bit further. You go to Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite Old Testament chapters. Who's sitting on the throne? Jesus Christ. How do we know that for sure? Because John tells us that it was Jesus who was sitting on the throne when Isaiah saw his glory. That's what he says. When he was high and lifted up. But something interesting about that whole vision that Isaiah has, he doesn't describe the person necessarily and fully who was sitting on the throne. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You don't get a description of the one who's actually occupying the throne because he didn't get a full glimpse of the glory of God because we could not withstand it. It weighs us down. We can't stand and the unveiled, if you will, presence of God, unless God himself somehow strengthens us. But at times, God has allowed humans to see a bit, a glimpse of what? His glory. To see his holiness. To see it manifested on the outside. Moses got to see it. Isaiah saw a bit of it. The Mount of Transfiguration, who got to see it? Peter, James, and John saw a bit, a glimpse of it. They saw it. And it says that his glory is above the heavens. It is infinite. It is the physical manifestation of the greatness, the holiness, the righteousness of God. And we're just beginning to go walk towards it. I've heard preachers say that whenever we get to heaven, the first time that we see God, it will be inexplainable. There will be no words for it. But every time that we look upon him, it'll be as if we are looking upon him for the very first time because he is so infinite, he is so great that we will never exhaust the greatness and the glory of our God. We'll never get there. And that's great. That's like that years ago. So let me see. Probably 2008, 2009, I started studying. I came across, you know, really studying the name of God. And that's been, how long has that been now? It's been a long time. I'm still not there. 
I still am interested. I was still thinking about and I still go throughout the day saying, Yahweh. Yahweh. And how it humbles and how it just does a wonder in our heart and mind. Hopefully. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have established or ordained strength. This is interesting. I, I was thinking about this. Out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of babes, nursing infants. Now, that's kind of hyperbole because how many of you have babies at one point in your life in here when they're pretty well infants? They don't talk. Not with words, do they? Unless they're extremely smart and a genius. I don't think, I don't even think that even genius babies talk that early. I mean, they said it took me at least a month. <laughs> I mean, anybody else any sooner? But babies don't talk. Infants don't, they don't, they don't talk. Jesus quotes this verse whenever he overthrows those who are treating the temple as common and selling things in there, the doves and all the other things, the money changers and those things that they were doing. The children, I was reading it, probably a lot of 12-year-old children making their first journey to, um, to the temple during Passover. This would have been the triumphal entry. This would have been, he would have been overthrowing the temple right days before he goes to the cross. Not overthrowing the temple, cleansing the temple. He tore the veil of the temple a few days later, and then 70 A.D., the temple was overthrown. But those children were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the, the religious people, the Pharisees and all them, they were mad. They, the Bible says they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus, quoting Psalms chapter 8, said yes to them. He said, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And what in the face of your enemies, that they may silence the enemy and the avenger. There is something great about a child that's born. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, this is hyperbole. I get this, what is being said here. This helpless child and this enemy, this adversary, this avenger who thinks he's so self-reliant and he's so strong and he can, he can do all these things and he can rail against God and he can kill God's people and this baby who was so helpless, who can't do anything, is the one crying out to the praise of God. Who's the wise? The Bible teaches us in um, 1 Corinthians, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools that he's used the foolish things, seemingly of the world, the foolishness of the what? The preaching of the cross to confound the wise. Here's this baby. And I, I was thinking about this. I really was thinking about this when I read this. We're born the imago dei, the image of God. It's, it's marred. We're sinful. We're sinners. It's not where it should be. And this talks about that. We're fallen. We don't exercise the dominion over this world like we should. But when that young child comes into this world, there is something great about that. Amen. There is something great about that that cries out to the glory of God. And the face of all those who accuse and come against us, there is something great and marvelous to that created life. 
And in that, that young child, that baby, without words being spoken, is speaking to the marvelous grace and glory of God. In spite of everything going on, no matter the circumstances, when a child comes into the world, the imago dei, though marred, is present. Though marred is present. And we honor them because God set that standard upon mankind. Whenever mankind was made, whenever Adam was created, and Eve was created on day six, that was the pinnacle of the creation. We are the ones who can communicate with God. We are the ones who He created to have a relationship with us. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. We'll talk more about that. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Have you ever went outside and looked up at night? This is one of my favorite things to do. Whenever I'm camping, whenever I walk outside, now it's been cold, so I don't go outside and lay in my chair and look up because it's cold outside. But when I take the trash out later on tonight, almost every time it's a clear sky, I'll stop for just a moment and I'll look up. I've been doing this since I read in the Psalms where the Bible says, consider, and, and the King James said, consider the firmament, for it sheweth your handiwork. That word handiwork, and this word right here, it says it rightly, your fingers. What does the phrase that is used in Genesis to describe the stars? And it just says, and he made these stars also. It teaches us later on, I believe in Psalms here later on, that just by his word, he just spoke the stars into existence. David is the writer of this psalm. And when I read this, I get the very sensation and feeling that he also stood outside and looked up and gazed at the stars, the same stars that we see now, and had the same feeling of smallness that I have, that you have, looking out at the greatness of our God. The millions of stars that can be seen. And they talk about when you hold up binoculars that you can see just millions more. If you have a four-inch telescope, how you can see even that many more. How vast our universe is and how little we truly know about it. And God just made them and described it with a phrase. And yeah, by the way, I made the stars also. It was just simply the work of my fingers. It wasn't, it was the work of his word, but he is describing it to us in a way that we can relate. There's not a lot of things that I can do with the work of my fingers, let alone make a star. I'm not, I actually think I could be good with my hands if I knew what I was doing. I'm quite ignorant. I actually enjoy doing it. I get out there and I start messing around with things and I start figuring out, I was like, there's a tool for that. I don't know what it is, and sure enough, there is. Everything that I've ever thought of, they've already invented if I didn't know about it. You know the little thing that they have in the side of the car to help you push up? They sold it a while. I thought of that. I'm in therapy. I was over there. I was like, we need something to push up from. Next thing I know, it's on infomercials. I'm like, oh, man. All these things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not good with my hands like I would want to be. But God just made the stars. And David stood out there and looked up and saw the stars. You ever stood at the, on the beach and looked at the ocean 
You've been there, and you think, man, I'm small. The vastness and the strength of the ocean. We seem to know more about the moon than we do about the ocean. But in the vastness and the greatness of the ocean, all that we can see is the top of it. There's a lot under it. The universe goes on even further. And God made that. And then David asked the question, same question I found myself asking, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? To think that God who made the stars, spoke them into existence, spoke this world into existence out of nothing, would be mindful of us. And we know that he is because he's told us that. Not because we're deserving of it, because it is in his will, it is his good pleasure to be mindful of us. Because we know that we've all failed miserably. We're sinners. Adam, the most fit man to ever live, sinned. Ate off the tree. Eve, they ate off the tree. that They were told not to. They failed. That first Adam failed, but that second Adam, the representative of our of Jesus, uh, our representative of Jesus Christ, the second Adam became a life giving spirit, a life giving spirit. That first Adam failed. He failed. He sinned. But yet God is still mindful of us. What does it say? You have made us man made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Even in, in, in saying that and understanding that we've sinned, the Bible tells us that on day six, that we were made a little bit lower than the angels. Angels, if you go over to Hebrews, this might be an appropriate time to go over to Hebrews. I don't want to teach through Hebrews um, in this here because I don't want to be too long. I just want to be a few minutes. You know, the first part there um, in chapter 1, it talks about the superiority of Christ over the angels. There was a lot of weird teachings going on in those time periods and days and different things about Christ. But one of the things that the writer of Hebrews set in order for us to understand is that Christ is superior to the angels. Then he walks over here in chapter 2 and he talks about the fact that when Christ put on human flesh, when God became man, that for a, a time in a way that we have to understand that he was what? Made lower than the angels or became lower than the angels. I don't think made would, would well, that's the word used here, but I don't want to confuse any, any words there with what's going on here. It quotes Psalm chapter 8. Hebrews 2 does. What is man? I'm going to read this to you. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made man, him, a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and, you, and set him over the works of your hands. Now, I'll flip him back to Psalms. I'm in chapter 6, I'm in chapter 8, verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Follow me for just a moment. God said in Genesis, whenever he created us, that what we were going to have dominion. What did he have Adam do? What was one of his first jobs? The name, all the animals. He put man 
and I'm talking about man, we were supposed to be, if you will, in charge of that. Over the birds in the sky, over the ones that creep on the ground, all the animals on the ground, and the fish in the sea. We know that that relationship, because of sin, is not where it should be. We see that when we walk outside. There is a lot of conflict between man and animal today, between man and beast. God gave us dominion over the earth in that way. But we sinned, we fell, and we have miserably fallen at that job, at that title, at that command that God gave to us. We've miserably felt at that. We failed. But it says that you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the pass of the sea. You have to see two things, made lower than the angels. <clears throat> Some different versions actually translate the word angels there because it's the word Elohim. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Bryce might know how to pronounce that old word. That's the word for God, the plural. Some of them actually use the word God there. Some of them use the word divine. Made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You give him dominion. Now it says this here. You have crowned, and back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. All things in subjection under his feet. Under man. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. We haven't seen all things put under man. We're not over top of everything. Angels are a very highly created being, a very highly created creature, and at the end of the day, that's what they are, is a highly created creature with powers not like me. But the Bible tells us, In verse 5 of Hebrews 2, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Who's he put the world? Who's going to rule with Christ in the future kingdom? Man is. Not the angels. Christ did not die for angels. We know that there's fallen angels. He did not redeem angels. He didn't redeem animals. He redeemed one creation. The descendants of Adam. The descendants of Eve, sins of Adam and Eve. He died to redeem us. In this sense of this creation and this greatness and this vastness of all the stars, of the greatness and the power of the sun, the glory of the moon, the vastness and the power of the ocean, God is mindful of you and I. We are the ones that he desires a relationship with. Verse 9 in Hebrews 2 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, being the second Adam, might taste death for everyone. Christ becoming man. 
being the man that will ultimately be the one to sit upon the throne and who will put all things under his feet. Christ being the one who will sit on the throne and then that kingdom will rule over this world and his millennial kingdom. Restoring the relationship of man to creature or beast of this earth as it should have been from the beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 27 and 28, also quote from this psalm. Talking about the day and the time when He puts all things under His feet. And the last enemy that is destroyed is death. He puts all things under His feet. Jesus Christ, God, in the flesh is the man and the one who will rule with his dominion over this world. He is the man who will rule and defeat all of our enemies. And he's already done it by his death, the burial and resurrection on the cross. And we are just awaiting for the time, the future consummation of that reality. And then, not only that, but mankind, the people that he created, that he turns and he looks at, that he is mindful of, will stand beside and rule with him. In what capacities? I don't know all the capacities. But what did he teach us? What did he say? You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. He taught us that in his, uh, in his word. That we be faithful over a few. He's going to make us ruler over many. Of many things. We see that in Revelation. Men. And I'm saying that just, I don't know all the rules and ins and outs, who and how we're going to rule. I just know that we're going to rule beside him. We're special because God said that we're special. Listen, I love, I love my dog. I really do. I love my dog. I love, I love Zeke. I love the cat. Eli's not here. I kind of regret getting the cat, okay? I love the cat. And he's really settled down, but he was a he was a terror. But I love the I love animals. I love going out and um, seeing things outside. I love waterfowl. I used to go duck hunting. I, I know. Um, I love I love waterfowl. And it's the beauty of, the, of those birds and seeing them. I just love that stuff. I love looking out and seeing the stars. But it, it upsets me every time I hear somebody talk about how they, this animal, this dog, or this cat is worth more than a, a man's life, a woman's life, because this person's over here doing this or that. No, Jesus Christ did not die for my dog. He died for men. He died for us. He died for the one that he set his image on. We are the ones who he desires a relationship with. doesn't mean I want to go out and be mean to the animals and things. I want to respect them and his creation. But he died for us. That's, that says it all. You want to know what's the most important thing that he made in this creation, what he thinks about it? He died for you and I. He gave his life for us. One day we'll get to rule with him. Um. So I really enjoyed studying this. Hopefully you enjoyed learning a little bit from it. Hopefully we pulled it together some there at the end. 
Um, but I, I really um, enjoyed that. And I didn't realize, you know, how much, man, this Psalms 8. I know Psalms 9 has a lot to do. If you want to read um, 